Welcome to I Caught It on Audio. This is 64 Tacos Book Club Episode 7, Doom Part 2. Hello and welcome to I Caught It on Audio. Today we're doing our 64 Tacos Book Club podcast. This is the second episode in which we'll be talking about the Frank Herbert sci-fi classic Dune, and we're going to be covering the second half of book one. Zach, why don't you give us a synopsis here? So as the Atreides settle into their new environment on Arrakis, they learn of a plot against the Duke by someone close to him. Thufir thinks it's it might be Jessica, and the Duke is not buying it. Uh, Leto, Paul, and Gurney meet with Dr. Kynes, the planetologist, and he explains still suits and accompanies them on a survey of, of a spice harvester, how they collect spice on Arrakis. When the harvest, harvester is threatened by a sandworm, the dune puts the lives of the workers above the precious spice, which gains him the trust of Dr. Kynes. The Atreides host a small dinner party with the elites of Arrakis, and things get rather tense when Jessica suspects that this banker dude is a Harkonnen spy. Then, good old drunken Duncan Idaho lets slip that they, <laughs> that they, uh, they meaning the uh, the Atreides group, uh, think that Jessica is the traitor that is um, going to betray the Duke, um, and that puts her in a massive rage where she then confronts the fur, and ultimately she wins the dick measuring contest as you would expect a Bene Gesserit should. Um, we also learn that Jessica is pregnant with the Duke's daughter. Then the fun begins as Yue goes on a stabbing spree and shuts down the, the shield generator to their Arakeen palace. And he uh, tells the Duke of, of his betrayal against him, and but also installs a poison tooth in the Duke's mouth so that he can uh, eventually kill the Baron Harkonnen when he meets up with him at some point in the future. Uh, Jessica and Paul are taken out into the desert by the Harkonnen soldiers uh, to be killed and or left for dead or something along those lines just to get them out and away from everything and nobody would then be able to find the bodies. But they managed to escape and find survival gear left by Yue, who was, you know, constantly distraught about the situation, uh, about him betraying the, the whole family. So he tried to do some nice things to ha- allow them to survive in the harshness of of Arrakis. The Duke is delivered to the Baron and Yue is rewarded with a backstabbing, um, immediately killed shortly after uh, handing off the Duke to go and join his his wife. Um, The Duke uses the tooth, remember, remember the tooth, you must remember the tooth, um, which which kills the uh, ends up killing the Baron's mentat, Peter de Vries, um, but not the Baron in the poison gas cloud that he releases. Uh, book one then ends with Jessica and Paul in a still tent, strategizing um, what comes next, what to do next. I believe they're waiting for Duncan Idaho to find them. Paul Paul kind of takes on this more authoritative role now that his father is dead. He starts kind of making decisions and being very, very forceful about you know the way he think he wants things to go. Um, he also seems to have somehow increased his ability to see things, his sort of prescient um, qualities, um, because he also finds out, well, he, he knows that uh, Jessica's pregnant without her telling him, and she's only a few weeks along. So she's like, how the heck does he knows that, know that? And then also he becomes aware, um, not really explained much, but he, becomes, uh, he, he tells Jessica that he knows that she is the Baron's daughter. 
gasp. <laughs> yes. So that is the general synopsis of the second half of book one. Let me start it off with, uh, I really like the part where, where Dr. Kynes is, is just, um, telling them about the still suits, explaining them. Uh, it's a great way that the scene plays out because it, um, he explains it while he's kind of helping them get uh, get their still suits exactly right because apparently you need to make sure that all the straps and things are where they need to be in order for it to function properly and have it be sort of like a closed system that um, recycles all of your fluids um, and then some. Uh, so the uh, the part that was interesting to me was how they discuss about the uh, the urine and feces are processed in the thigh pads <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And so my question is, should still suits come with air fresheners or do they come with air fresheners? Because, man, you got to you got to imagine that the uh, the B.O., uh, you know, just your constant sweating. They explicitly say that anyone who's been especially the Fremen who's been wearing a still suit, uh, you'll know them by their by their odor, by uh, their smell, by yes. their smell. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't think there's any consideration taken for that. No, I think they probably should come with little air fresheners because, man, that's gotta gotta be ripe, especially with the uh, the urine and feces and the thigh pads. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Do you think they open up like the left thigh pad and just like drop out like poop dust, um, <laughs> like periodically? <laughs> one would, spice. one would hope so. Yeah, <laughs> other spice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long, uh, how long you keep your, your still suit on between, between opportunities to, you know, defecate, but, um, hopefully you can do that, uh, when well, I, I guess maybe you need the water from, from the feces. So yeah, yep. maybe it's important that you do it in your still suit. Oh, I think it's very important that you do yeah. it in your still suit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I didn't know that's what make? I called it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Duke made a point of changing a lot of the, eliminating some of the more wasteful customs. Um, the flouting of wealth via wasted yes, water. Exactly. Yeah. What he doesn't see in these grand proclamations is the repercussions, the negative repercussions that it has on some of the citizens. So my question is should he, one, be making all of these changes? And two, if he is going to, should he possibly take more time to understand the full ramifications of his actions of changing the policies? Well, I think he should take more time to understand the culture and the ramifications of the decisions he's making. He he thinks he's making the right choices, but he doesn't understand everything he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's heat of the moment decisions, which may be the right decision, but even if they are, it might make sense. I don't know. I guess it depends because it might make sense to think it over and be more formal about the changes, or it might make sense symbolically to the real power of the uh, of the planet, the Fremen, to, to make these grand gestures in the moment. No more selling off the wastewater, you know, from the ceremonial, you know, like soaking of the towel or whatever you want to mm -hmm. call that, that strategy. And he is definitely antagonizing at least the person who profited off of that by selling the water to beggars. But so I, I, I don't know that 
I mean, he certainly never finds out because <laughs> he, he doesn't make it long enough. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah spo- just because he's got a spoiler shitty alert. dentist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I, it would probably make more sense, but sometimes there's value in, in, in sort of an unstudied, not, you know, like sort of a, a, a mavericky type approach, perhaps. What do you think, Zach? I like the decision because, as you could tell on those, uh, the, the dinner party, um, chapter those people were jerks most of them they're huffy and and uh you know a holier than thou type of people they absolutely deserved to to lose out they, they were the the people who are getting the scraps of of the the wealth of the the party in power uh harkonnens before the Atreides. when the duke came in and just sort of issued this kind of proclamation yeah, he didn't he didn't know the ramifications of what that was going to do throughout Arrakis, but at the same time, he looked at the awfulness of the way the Harkonnens were being and decided to switch gears and make the change. And those those people would probably be fine because they'll find new ways of exploiting exploiting people and exploiting others other systems. But I don't really care if they, <laughs> you know, if if they're if they're disrupted by that those decisions, I, I could care less. Like the they they deserve to be disrupted and learn something new. I just dis- I agree with Matt on this. I think the Duke should have taken some time bef- rather than making broad sweeping generalizations. And I think this is one of the flaws of a of a true good perspective. There's no no leniency. There's no gray area, and a lot of reality and truth lives in the gray. Yes, the waste of the water was is categorically bad. There's no doubt about that. But you need to understand the systems in place currently, and I do think it does matter. I don't think that that servant who was selling the the water towels was in the employ of the Harkonnens. I think there's someone who is just trying to get by in their day to day and has found a way to. To do that, and now they wind up suffering as a result of the Duke's decree. It's true, but also all the beggars get a, a cup of water, you know. Yes, so they, and, they are and, better off at the same oh, time. Absolutely, and and I'm not saying that it wasn't a good a good decree. Um, I'm saying that there's more nuance to things, and and that's uh, like he could have found a way to make it better for the beggars and for the the servant who was selling exactly, the water. Exactly, yeah, that's definitely true. Try and All make right. everybody happy, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're going to present yourself as as truly good, then that's that should be the ultimate objective, right? Yeah, he's a. I think he's a, a good re- relative to the other nobles uh, that that we that we of interact course. with. He's 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 good, you know, quote unquote good. But he is also impulsive and you know prone to to anger. You know, his impulsivity is what is perhaps, and maybe he should feel free to wander around his uh, estate at night, but uh, that's how he got caught by, by Yue. So right. it's, sometimes it'll bite you, I guess. Right. Yeah. I want to know how, what you guys thought of the description of Paul's awakening at the end, because I really liked it. I liked the whole paths within paths and visible paths and all that it's not explicitly stated what precipitates the change because before he has the occasional dream and he's like oh i know that dream's important and i'll probably see that and he's being trained in the way of the Bene Gesserit and of the mentats and we also know that he is the the result of a, a long line of genetic breeding but what is it the stress of the situation that makes him 
tip into I see the branches before me, I have seen the future. I mean, he describes while he's talking to his mother about how that they are Harkonnens, he is he says, I have seen it. I, I have been to a place and seen the records. And that is a massive leap forward from where he was before in a sort of, oh, I, I've seen this girl with blue eyes and I think I'll meet her someday. I just don't know exactly what it means. I always think that this this part is really cool, but every time I wonder what is what makes the change, you know, do you have any thoughts on that, Matt? Do you think that it's just the stress or is it just he's he's 15 and, and it was going to happen at some point? The impression I got from it was it was the spice that triggered like this mm. jump forward in his powers because they're out in the wilds. That's exactly yeah. what I thought, too. Yeah, he does breathe it in when they get out to rescue the um, the uh, the workers at the spice mines or whatever you want to call it out in the desert. And they went yeah. into great detail about how the spice is in everything here. Yeah, uh, it's in the food, it's in the water, it's in the the air you breathe. It's it's everywhere. I'm pretty sure he says you know they can they can never leave this place because now he's dependent on the spice. Yeah, they do say that. So I I agree with Matt. I think it's 100 the uh, overexposure to spice that has opened up his innate abilities and allowed him to utilize all of the training that he's been given mm-hmm. to its fullest potential. Yes, it's the and final ingredient. Yeah. Become overwhelmed by it. <laughs> right. I do think it's a really interesting thing. And it's also interesting in the context of, you know, there's the common like main character syndrome thing where they're they they're just good at everything. And we definitely have that in this book. But of course the plot of the book justifies that by making him, you know, trained in every way possible and also the end of a breeding program. And also, you know, he's the son of a duke and and all these other things. So he is unbelievably powerful uh, for a 15 year old. But that's the plot of the book that they've he's been created, you know, essentially. Right. Yeah. Zach, what what do you think about the uh, the awakening as, as Matt called it? Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think the spice definitely had a huge uh, impact on it. Um, I think he also, with his dad just dying, he understands that the stakes have been raised. And now it's not just him being a little boy, you know, putting around this, uh, this desert planet. Now he's really got to, he's got to take hold and, and, and do things that are strategic and survive. It's a, it's a lot about his survival and his mother's survival and his, his, future sister's survival. And so he's, you know, consciously, I know you guys are talking about the more subconscious things, but consciously he's taking up the role of his dad. He's becoming the ducal heir and he's got to uh, uh, be the leader that he was always meant to be. Subconsciously or unconsciously, if you will, uh, the spice is affecting him and causing his prescient abilities and his um, clairvoyance to to really awaken and and take hold and uh, and yeah I, I agree with you guys I think it's definitely the spice the spice is, is having a huge huge impact on that I think a detail that I, comes to mind that it shows that it was well planned and good writing um, by Herbert is that he's pissed <laughs> he's not happy that he yeah. has all this power yeah he's he's kind of furious but nevertheless he says okay. I'm going to, at one point, he says, I no longer hate the Benny Jester. I no longer hate the Harkonnens. I'm just going to think think this through and try to make the best decisions with this with these new abilities and not be angry. But his first reaction is, what did you do to me? You know, like, this is bullshit. Why am I this monster, this freak? I think he says freak. Yeah, he, he calls himself a mutant, too. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, one other little detail 
he says that he's not the Kwisatz Haderach that the Bene Gesserit were trying to produce, um, but something unexpected. Do you think that this is going to be because he has the ability to see the future? Is that is that the unexpected thing? Is he going to um, upend the, all the plans of the Bene Gesserit because something strange happened? You know, the fact that he was a boy and not a girl and didn't wasn't paired off with the Fade Rautha. I think this is going to be an interesting study into whether Herbert believes in predestination or not, and whether he wants his character to be able to control their fate, or if the the fate has been determined as to what what Paul is and what he becomes and where where he what he does. So that's that's kind of where I'm where I look at in that respect. But he's also early, right? Like he's earlier than the Quisat Satyrak, so it would make sense that he's something different something unexpected. So yeah, he might throw a lot of plans out by doing things that were unexpected. I was wondering what you guys thought about the um, the Harkonnens taking back Arrakis so quickly. Do you think that was purely strategic in trying to get the Atre- take out the tra- Atreides while they were still settling in and not really ready for it uh, before they actually got you know, fully, fully nested and, and more uh, protected? Or do you think it has more to do with like the Baron wanting it back quickly because he didn't, well, I mean, I was part of the emperor's plan, but, but maybe he just didn't want anybody else controlling Arrakis out from under him. Well, I think it's both. Yeah. I thought it was really sudden when I first like saw the movie. Yeah. I remember we were talking about that in the podcast about the movie. Because I thought so too. I thought it was it was very sudden. And then rereading this, I was like, "Wait a second! This, that's exactly how it how it played out." Yeah, it's just a matter yeah. of weeks, you know. But you would have to go quickly. Like you wanna you wanna wait just a little bit to let them drop their guard a little bit, but before they can entrench themselves, before so, they can acquire a bunch of allies, which is they were already starting yeah, to well allies to and get all the crappy equipment you left behind up to grade and working condition and. Like get their atomics set up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and potentially weed out any traitors. Yeah. Cause they so, were already on the, on the path of that. They just didn't know who, who it was. And not to mention, they talk a little bit about uh, the, um, the, the spice reserves that the emperor and the Harkonnens have. And Lido's like, let's, let's go, let's go blow that shit up. You know, it's it's going to cost them a lot of money. So the longer yeah. they wait, the more likely it is that they can, they can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My next question is is related very closely to your question, Zach. And it's kind of a multi-part question. Just for clarification, the emperor gave the Atreides Arrakis, right? right? Yes. And it had been previously controlled by the Harkonnens, right? Yep. And we learned in this section that the emperor sanctioned, or, or at least didn't, didn't disapprove of the Harkonnens betraying the uh, the duke and taking atreides back or arrakis back right right so why did any of this have to happen <laughs> well here's here's That's, my understanding yes. of that house atreides was becoming too popular and he had a lot of people that followed him and allies so the emperor feared him so this is all an elaborate way to get rid of the competition for the emperor that's the way i understand it do you guys have any other ideas or thoughts that might be different or that was along my understanding, yeah. So the emperor was afraid of House Atreides? Yes. 
That's why he got. Okay. And I think in one of the little Princess Irulan entries, it mentions that he wished he, he liked the Duke and he wished that uh, he did wasn't in a position where he has he was going to betray him. So I think that there was all very much a I can't have him keep gaining popularity because then he's going to challenge my position. And so it was a it was a fear of, uh, of, of future problems. As right. in the, the Duke might become the emperor, like take over from the emperor. And I don't know if that's what the Duke would want, but I think that's what the Emperor feared. Okay. Why does the Emperor want to align with Harkonnen shitheads when they are despicable and probably don't won't hold up on their ends of the bargain <laughs> end of the bargains that they make? Uh, as as you could clearly see happened with with UA. UA thought that, you know, he, he was he was going to get closure uh, with his wife and the Baron just stabs him in the back exactly what we as the readers expect you know it's it's one of those things where it's like the harkonnens have been around a while everybody knows that they're shitheads so why do people keep doing business with them or want to align with them i mean even from the emperor's standpoint rather, whether the the duke is is popular or not wouldn't you wouldn't you rather be aligned with someone who is more in tune with the good of the people and trying to be like a true leader instead of the harkonnen lead with might and just you know, squash everybody who is in opposition? Well, I would argue that, that first of all, that Dr. Yue was pretty sure that his wife was dead and he was pretty sure he was going to get killed. He just wanted to kill the Baron as revenge for what he did to his wife. That's okay. what I thought too. But Zach, you were asking why does the Emperor want to side with the Har- with the Harkonnens, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. And bigger picture. Um, my best guess, and this is based on my extensive knowledge of G.I. Joe, is Emperors and barons are bad guys, and dukes are good guys. <laughs> okay, um, I can see that. Well, and beyond that, I've got nothing. It, it doesn't make sense <laughs> to, to my, me either. Uh, um, my guess on it is he makes a lot of money with the Harkonnens, mm-hmm. and I think, and he can't make that money with the with the Atreides because they want to do things right. They don't want to cut corners, maybe. Oh, they don't want to cut corners and they want to pay people more. That cuts into your profits. Yeah. Okay. I think that's part of it because that that affects all the uh, the major houses because they're all partners in this, the guild that, that gets them all rich. I, I would argue that there's another thing that the emperor might be thinking, and that is there's a lot of mention by the um, by the Baron and Peter DeVries of they don't they don't want Piter. to. Uh, is it Piter in the. Uh, yeah. Yep. In the thing, interesting. They they mentioned many times that they don't want to know exactly what happens to Paul and and Jessica because they want to be able to not lie when they're under question. Which means that they're suspecting the uh, emperor is going to use their betrayal, which gets them what the Harkonnens want, which is Dune back. That is going to that the emperor might well then say, you know, use their betrayal against them to take their house down as well. Sort of like they've exposed themselves by being a traitor, much in the way that UA was not respected by anybody on the Harkonnen side right after he did what they wanted. So I think that the emperor is, this is a a longer game where he is going to get rid of the, the good duke who is powerful and can challenge him and then get rid of the evil manipulative manipulatable that's even a word uh uh, baron whose greed drives him and also his animosity towards um the house of treaties drives him to take the chance of uh, of killing the duke and then that can be used against him in the future by the emperor that's that's how i that's how i think that's what i think might be going on behind the scenes as well yeah i can see that 
I was just kind of thinking, you know, if I were the emperor, I would, I would probably want to take my chances with the Duke and see how that plays out. Forget about the Harkonnens because they've, they seem so slimy and greasy and dangerous that they're just going to stab me in the back at some point too. So I was just curious what you guys, what your guys thoughts on that would be. Do you guys, did you guys like the, uh, the discussions or the, um, the background on like the technology stuff as far as like the laser guns and the, and the shields? I thought that was really interesting stuff. And I was curious about what you guys thought about that, that dynamic that they added in, which is if a laser gun blast hits a shield, it creates essentially a nuclear explosion. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. I don't know what to make of that. I like it because that just gives us a reason why we're not firing laser guns all over the place. It's also useful for for powerful things to have a weakness. Yeah. Yes. You know, and another way that the shields are a problem on Arrakis is that they uh the uh, vibrations they make draw sandworms. So then therefore you can't it eliminates a a problem, you know, so to speak. Right. Why don't they all just wear shields all the time? Well, there's 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 some problems with shields, so Yeah. Also, it mentioned uh, Luke, uh, Luke, Luke Dito, Duke Lido <laughs> mentioned that uh, uh, he wasn't wearing his, um, he didn't turn his shield on because it, it inhibits his ability to see and hear, which is how yeah. the dart got him. You know, if he just been, had his, uh, had his shield on, he would have been much more difficult for UA to tranquilize. And I, I think it shows the care, the proper care that uh, Frank Herbert gave to these technological inventions that he came up with uh, in that it's like, well, you can't just wear a shield and you're safe and nobody can touch you. Nothing can ever happen. There are all these different ways that a shield, it is useful for some things, but there are all these different ways that it can be a problem. You have to go slow because fighting fast with knives won't uh, penetrate the shield. Like you said, the humming or whatever of the um, shield draws out the uh, sandworms. And then also this new thing where the, you know, you shoot a, shoot a shield with the laser gun and boom, everybody's dead in the, in the, in the <laughs> vicinity. Um, so which, I, might, which yeah. might be useful under certain circumstances. Yeah. Right. Well, so, I mean, when I first was reading that and I, I, I guess I completely glossed over it, you know, the previous, previous time reading the book, um, cause it seemed really new to me this time around. But, uh, I was thinking, well, this is really problematic because it, it adds in this this dynamic that makes it so like, why would anybody ever wear shields? Because all, all you need is a kamikaze suicide guy with a laser gun to come up and shoot at you with your shield on and boom, you know, takes care of the problem or whatever and levels out the, the area and gets rid of all the evidence. Uh, but then I thought, you know what, actually that, that makes a lot of sense. That's a smart way to, to, to kind of add in, introduce a, a little ripple, you know, it's not perfect. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be the thing that, that saves you. The shield might be more of a detriment than, than it actually is. And I like that because, you know, technology is often that way. It's some, it has a lot of great advantages, but then sometimes there are some weaknesses and problems that come up. Uh, I mean, you have to turn it off and on again a lot. I had a question about Yue and his, and his motives. Why didn't he just go to the Duke to have this resolved through the proper channels? Why did he give in to the Baron? He knew his wife was going to be dead no matter what. And he knew the Baron was not going to hold up on his, uh, despite the Baron's belief that he held up on his end of the bargain, wasn't going to hold up. So why didn't he just go to the Duke, say this is a thing that's happening, and then the Duke can use his forces to resolve the situation? Well, I think he wanted the Baron dead 
And the only way that was going to happen is by getting close to him through legal channels. The Baron, I think, almost certainly wasn't going to die. It mentions, I think, that it's a it's a bad precedent to have the nobility killed for the other nobles. They don't like that idea because it makes them seem more mortal. So I think that it's very unlikely through the proper channels that the uh, Baron would die. And that was his greatest wish. Or even much would happen to the Baron. Yeah. He wanted the Baron dead, and this seemed like the best way. Well, he failed, so... Yeah, yeah I wonder why why he didn't do his own poison tooth. Yeah. I wondered that, too. It mentions he knew he couldn't get close enough. He tells yeah. he okay. tells the Duke, he'll he'll want to gloat near you. He'll keep me at a, at a safe distance, which is exactly what happens. Okay. Yeah. Do you guys like how the attempt on the Baron played out? Well, I mean, yeah. the result that you wanted didn't happen, but of course we're in the first third of the book, so that makes sense. It's realistic that things don't go quite according to plan, I suppose. But I like that they explain that the shields help slow the poison and mm-hmm. important people did die. The the mentat died. The Duke was still coming off of off of his, you know, drugged drugged up dental <laughs> dental procedure. And so he he really didn't he couldn't see properly. He didn't know who who was yeah. right in front of him or yeah, where people he was were drugged up and probably pulled it a little too early. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought that was that was interesting. Uh, it was it was not quite perfect. Everything didn't quite go to plan. You also brought up the thing about the about uh, Piter, Piter de Vries being killed and some guards and stuff. And and that was an interesting part as well, because that that messed up the Baron's plan. He had this this plan to um, to have Piter be the essential ruler overseer of Arrakis for the Harkonnen house. And uh, and he was intending for him to be awful and so that he could then replace him with Fade Rotha. And then he, that then with Piter dying, he had to alter those plans and switch over to, I think, having uh, Raban. Mm-hmm. Raban take over Arrakis, uh, which he was he was the previous overseer or manager or whatever you want to call it when, when the Harkonnens were in power before the Atreides. So that kind of throws off his his little plan a little bit. Do you guys have anything, any thoughts about that or uh, was it pretty straightforward? I mean, it's cool that the plans have to be adapted and changed because as the, the a big part of this book is the sort of political maneuverings and the plots and the plans within plans within plans and all that stuff. So they're, mm-hmm. they're following through on that. I, I had a question related to that. Is Baron Vladimir Harkonnen too evil? I mean, at one point we find out that he's interested in diddling boys who look like Paul, who is his grandson, as it turns out, not that he knows that. And have them drugged up so they don't fight back. (laughs) Right. Is is this too much of a caricature of evil? You know, do you find it a little, you know, over the top or does is it just good to have a a strong foil? I was thinking about that this morning and it is kind of nice to have a classic Disney villain who is just categorically bad. You know, mm-hmm. like your like your Wicked Witch or your uh, Ursula or you know something like that, and not have to worry about the the villain being a person too, like like you do with uh, a lot of the more modern villains who are you know more complex and all that stuff. But man, it gets <laughs> gets mm-hmm. grating sometimes. <laughs> it's like, does he have to do every evil thing and every mm-hmm. terrible thing at every opportunity? <laughs> And every overindulgence. Yeah. Um, so it's, I'm, I'm kind of a mixed bag on that. I, I love I love that we've got we've got the 
hardline defined good and we've got the hardline defined evil and they're they're clashing it, it's a nice dynamic in the story it does get to be a bit much at times what about you zach yeah i i don't like the kitty diddling stuff <laughs> um, so you're, but, you're you're anti-kitty diddling. Yes. You're, you're willing to put that on the record yeah Going on record with uh, that one. If, if this needs to be done, I would also like to go on the record. Nobody in 64 Dockers wants to be the Lenny Kitties, all right? Let's yeah, just, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think it's really, it, it makes it so easy to hate him, uh, hate yeah. the character of the Baron, and you want him to fail and you want him to get his comeuppance. So I, I like that part of it. I like that. He's very well defined. I think you're you're correct in that if you know if they wanted to do more of a complex character where he's not quite that evil, it would add a, a different dynamic to the book that I think Frank Herbert is wasn't really going for. He he wanted yeah. to very 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 clear that you've got the good and you've got the bad, and the there's maybe a little bit of gray area in there for some of the other houses that we don't really learn about in this book. I don't know, at this point, from what we've read, the uh, the Fremen might kind of be that gray area because we really don't know much about them. We, we, we do know that they have never wanted to align with the uh, Harkonnens, but beyond that, we don't really know how good or bad or what their what their purpose is or what they're what they're really trying to succeed on other than they are the indigenous population of the planet and they don't probably don't want all of these foreigners coming in and trying to take over there's a lot of like goodish characters and factions and there's a lot of maneuvering and politics and all this other stuff and in a certain way it kind of it's kind of nice that that's all muddy and even even what paul thinks he should do with his new powers is muddy who the real bad dude is is not muddy at all that's very obvious so yeah maybe it would have been a little too a little too open-ended and and complex if everything was was that way mm-hmm I think that's going to be the end of our discussion here. So tell us what you think of Dune in the comments. We'll be coming out with the next episode in a week. Like and subscribe if you are into that kind of thing. Uh, If you want more content like this, you can find everything we've done at 64tacos.com. And if you really like it, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash 64tacos where you can buy us a taco. Thanks for listening. I caught it on audio. (laughs) Hello and welcome to I Caught It On Audio. Today we're... Actually, I'm going to turn my heater off. Hold on. Can you turn your dogs off too? Nope. (laughs) I did have a little pep talk with Libby though, so she knows. So she she understands. She knows. She understands. She knows to wait. Here we go.